sure history never forgets the name. Sci-fi Malik. Got up. Ah, I see that the Rage Master himself has come to ask me, Rockstar, the question of what to watch. Well then, don't just sit there, child. Ask away. Wonder Song. Hmm. Yes, a good game. Weldermyth. I have not played in many, many years, but a good game. Raroni Kenshin. An underrated all-time classic. Watch it. Dragon Ball Z. Dragon Ball Z. A very good anime. It was very Dragon Ball Z of you to come here, Rage Master. But finish your plug. These are the anime you have oft heard of and oft wondered should you watch. Now, the answer has been granted you with why you should. Presented by Ruckster, you will now be able to listen to his words and know, should I watch? And if so, why? Stay tuned. Sci-Fi Malady, Symptom 273, Carbon Creek, not saying it was Vulcans, but Vulcans. Welcome back, sickies, to a new year. It's That's right, it's another year of Sci-Fi Malady, and I, I'm going to repeat this broken record again and again. I can't believe we're still doing this, especially coming from the guy that never wanted to do it to begin with. So... Here we are. We've done this so many times. We're on to Enterprise. Yes, <laughs> we're on to trekking. We're on to trekking into the new year with Enterprise. And you, you, know you what? never I'm thought not, we were going to get this far. You know, I I had a feeling we. Well, that's true. I, well, nonetheless, hi. <sighs> you know, I'm not that reticent about this show. Um. I know there's future things we're going to review track wise that I'm going to look back fondly on enterprise and be like, can we do that again? Cause just for the sake of completion, we're going to have to move on to Kurtzman Trek. And <sighs> I have you're a really great raving against it. You're going to have to watch it. Well, let me tell you what the, let me tell you what the future schedule brings. The future schedule for trekking into the new year next year will be the animated series. That's what I thought. Yes. Oh. After that, we will review the, the original series movies and the four next generation movies. Really? We're not going to jump to Discovery? If we go to Kurtzman Trek. We're not going to go to Discovery because Discovery is still in process. So, uh -huh. and we're not, you know, honestly, I would probably go to Lower Decks before I went to Discovery. I would go Wait, to Strange New Worlds. Process? Yes. 
I would go to Strange New Worlds before I went to Discovery. Has that been canceled yet? No. No, Strange but- New Worlds is actually semi-good. I, I, Strange New Worlds is the second best thing to come out of Kurtzman Trek. The best thing to come out of Kurtzman Trek is Lower Decks. But Strange New Worlds is the second best thing to come out of Kurtzman Trek. But I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not itching to go to get the Kurtzman Trek. Trek into the new year I, after the movies four years from now may take a very different tone. It'll still exist, but it may take a deeper dive into overall themes of certain series, dynamics of the series, okay. uh, compare and contrast. We're, we're headed in a different direction on this because um, we, we, we just are. Where we start today is the last... It's the last true iteration of what I would call Prime Trek. Everything that comes after it is... is someone else's idea of a space adventure playing in the same sandbox that was created in-universe that was created by Gene Roddenberry and Rick Berman and the writing team that was there for years, you know, mostly like Brandon Braga and Ronald Moore and, and you know... You know what's funny about that, Scott? I was Stephen Bear... You call this Prime Trek, but technically Prime Trek is what Kurtzman Trek is. And then Kelvin is um, Abrams Trek. And then um, this is original or whatever they call it. All right, let me say it like this. Let me say it like this. Episode three is the last good episode of Star Wars. Oh, no, no, I get what you're saying. I'm just, I'm not disagreeing with your thinking, Scott. I'm just saying that titles, you call it prime, but the titles of CBS are different. That's material. No, 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 I I know exactly. Yes, Kurtzman Trek is prime, and and, yeah, then you got Kelvin Trek. They call call it prime because they're hoping all the the sycophants out there are going to be, oh, okay, sure, whatever that guy wants, you know. The um, best thing, but, the best thing they could do, and, and this will be an example of where trekking into the new year will go, and then we'll get back into Enterprise, uh, and I will promise I will talk about Enterprise. To me, the best thing that um, CBS could do with the franchise right now is to, after finishing season three of Picard, scrap, do season three of Picard, do season two of Strange New Worlds, scrap all of it except Lower Decks and give me season 8 and 9 of Deep Space Nine. Because most of the actors, if not all of them, are still alive. Iris Stephen Bear and Ronald Moore and the writing room have already met and broke what they would do with season 8. There's an unwrapped story, or an untold story, an unfinished story, about what happened to Cisco in the wormhole that was never well answered in the non-canon novels. And you can continue that story. You can continue it 15 years later. You can continue it 25 years later, 35 years later. You can get new writers who will come in and aren't going to be bound by everything that came before. They just have to go back and pretty much watch. You can even bring back the writers. They're all still there. They'd all still love to return to that show. To me, if you wanted to revitalize Star Trek, what you do right now is you flash forward 25 to 35 years and continue telling. Deep Space Nine Season 8. There would be an audience. The built-in audience that you're looking for would be there, and you would have it in the hands of a group of people who know 
the franchise and created some of the maybe the best episodes of Star Trek ever aired. And in hindsight, while it wasn't the most popular at the time, probably, and it isn't my favorite series, probably wrote the best series of Star Trek, especially when you look at seasons four through seven. Okay. Yeah. Scott's advice for the people of CBS. Which um, will not be taken. No, which will never be taken, but that is one mega Trekkies bit of advice on how to fix the franchise. So with that over it, we're going to jump into enterprise. And as always, um, this is the month where I step out of, I give up the first chair to Scott and he takes over. So from here on out, Scott, you are in charge, but before you take command and I come number two, I got to ask one question. What are your initial thoughts about Enterprise? Because I was talking to Ethan, and Ethan will be joining us this month, of course. He's kind of ambivalent about this series. He wasn't, you know, his overall view was it got better in the end when they remembered they should be in what lane they're supposed to be driving in, Star Trek. Uh, I kind of agree with that, that early on, they kind of forgot about canon or were much more loose about it and only towards the end did they attempt to uh especially with the earth romulan war did they attempt to fix this but there were still gaps still things that didn't match with what had come before canonically speaking and of course scott you could talk about the novels that tried to fix that and fixed it quite well but who read them it's like too little too late um and also, you know, the garbage that was the final episode, These Are the Voyages. The so. love letter from Rick Berman and Brandon Braga to the fans. So let's start with the last episode. Because I think the last episode right there is Enterprise in a Microcosm. And it, it's baffling that people who had stewarded the program from season three of Next Generation through Voyager, oversaw Deep Space Nine, even though Braga and Berman had nothing to do with it, and let Iris, Stephen Bear, and Ron Moore do whatever they wanted to with it, got so much wrong. And at that point in time, had misunderstood so much what the fans of the franchise wanted. But at the same time, it also makes sense. Rick Berman had been involved in Star Trek since 1987, when, when Next Gen relaunched. He took it over at the end of season two when Gene Roddenberry stepped away, pretty much. Brandon Braga was brought in around that time. Brandon Braga wrote more episodes of Star Trek than any person in history. And I think what you saw with Enterprise was fatigue. And to be quite honest, you were seeing it at the start of Star Trek Voyager. Star Trek Voyager really was Next Generation Season 8. It was the same type of script, the same type of show, just on a different ship with different characters. They even recycled scripts that they didn't use for Worf and created them into Bolana Torres scripts. So there were a lot of unused uh, TNG scripts. So you get to Enterprise and you've got people who, I mean, Brandon Braga wrote more than anybody. And he tended to forget how to write Vulcans. He turned them into mega space dicks. Um, they kept the feel. It felt like Star Trek. It looked like Star Trek. Um, 
which is something that the new shows have never really managed to do. But it's just, it's the microcosm of Enterprise. It is the last, in my mind, real Star Trek that has the soul of the franchise in it and, and feels right. Um, and has the same storytelling mode. And all the other ones are pale imitations. Uh, you know, fan, some fan fictions are better at capturing it. There's just a lack of understanding. These guys, though, had all the experience. They had successfully run three seven-season shows. They had solved all the problems that plagued Next Generation by knowing that it had to be a character-based episode. So they knew this had to be a Trip episode. It had to be a T'Pol episode. It had to be an Archer episode, a Hoshi episode. They knew that. They already knew that. They knew all the canon. They wrote the stories. They knew how these characters were supposed to be. And then you get there, and with the exception of the Klingons, they seem to have fundamentally forgotten how major parts of this Federation work. They, they, they came up with new things for the Andorians. The Andorians behaved so much differently than we've come to see Andorians as. Uh, the Vulcans, I mean, the, the miscarriage of justice with the Vulcans was just... It, 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 it turned a lot of people off to the show. And I know I came in excited as can be for Enterprise. And I was almost lost in the first episode. When the first contact with the Klingon Empire was the way that it was supposed to be. Because the first contact with the Klingon Empire wasn't supposed to happen that way. It was supposed to be disastrous. Um, and they just kind of bumped into them out in space. But we've changed that. And I didn't like it. We've changed the way the Vulcans behaved. And I didn't like it. Um, but then Enterprise found its footing. And it found its footing after Rick Berman stepped back. It really hit its stride in season four where it fixed everything. When Brandon Braga took a step back and Manny Cotto or Cotto took over, they just didn't have time. Had Enterprise been given a 5, 6, and 7? Because Deep Space Nine was not very good in the first two seasons. It got to its third season and found its stride. Voyager wasn't very good in the first two seasons, found its stride in season three. Next Gen, by a lot of accounts, was awful in the first two seasons. The only show that was good in the first season was TOS. Um, but by the time that Enterprise came around, there was Star Trek fatigue. And so, I am of two minds on this series. There are very good points in this series. There's an excellent um, big three dynamic that harkens back to the original series between Trip to Paul and Tucker. Almost in the exact same way with an ethos, pathos, logos um, balance to it. But Enterprise was a hot mess from the start, and it ended that way. And I say these are the voyages are the microcosm for that. Getting back to it eight minutes later on this soliloquy, I say that because Rick Berman thought this was a love letter to the fans. And he thought that the right way to do the final episode of Star Trek Enterprise was to do another episode of Star Trek The Next Generation and make the final episode of Star Trek Enterprise a Riker episode. And the way Riker resolved his ethical conflict within the episode Pegasus, that this is supposed to be taking place within, episode within an episode, was much better done the first time anyway. 
so it shows the declining ability of Berman and Braga to write. Brandon Braga took a break, since went on to do reinvent his career. But there was fatigue for the for the for the showrunners. There was fatigue for the audience, and it was the right time for Star Trek to go away for a period of time. And Enterprise just, while it could still produce good episodes, it had lost its ability to produce consistently good television. And those good episodes are what we're going to do. So. Uh... With that in mind, um, well, Scott, what's the first episode we're reviewing? Let's get into Carbon Creek, and we'll start with the why did I choose this episode. And this is an interesting one, because if you, if you hearken back to some other trekking into the New Year's... i to interrupt you. What season and everything like that? Oh, Carbon Creek is uh, episode two of season two. Thank so, you. I worked really hard to find a season two episode, and there's some good in season two. It was uneven. Um, if you harken back to TOS and TNG, I left off the inner light in TNG, and I left off City on the Edge of Forever in the original series. Because I said those were based on, those were shows that, that in the case of the inner light, was an ensemble cast. In the case of City on the Edge of Forever, it wasn't, in my mind, so much a Star Trek episode as it was a very good piece of science fiction. And the same thing with Inner Light. I mean, for most of the episode, Picard doesn't think he's Picard. Um, so I took those out, and I said they're very good pieces of science fiction, but as my favorite episodes of Star Trek, I wouldn't show someone that first because it wouldn't give them the flavor of what the series is. And it wouldn't, you know, be the best of the series uh, indicative of what the series was at its best. Carbon Creek would fall into that. It's a period piece. And it's not about any of the main characters. Um, Jolene Blalock carries it, and she is main cast, obviously. You know, she's T'Pol. She plays T'Pol's grandmother and great-grandmother in this. Um, but it is not about what's going on in Enterprise. And in some ways... It's just a piece of, it's just a really good story that filled a time slot. In other ways, though, I chose this because I think it is the turning point for the series. I think this is where the series started to figure out some things. It's where it started to rescue the Vulcans. It started undoing the mega space dicks arc about what the Vulcans were. And it showed people that this series could be something amazing. It showed you a way to rewrite history and rewrite canon without destroying canon in the meantime. This could happen, and First Contact could happen. Um, and so I just, I think this episode is important. And it's, it's massively important for the T'Pol arc. This is where you start to see what made Spock such a, such a character that was identifiable is, even though he was cold and illogical, you saw the loyalty. And you saw that he had those emotions under the surface, but he didn't let them break through. This is where you start to see T'Pol morph, morph into a Spock-type character, or even a Tuvok-type character, where on the surface they're emotionless, but they, um, they have it, and you know they have it. So in my original watch of Enterprise, this is where it turned for me, and I started to, to enjoy the series more on this episode. And... I would say this would be a place to start 
someone and, and introduce them to Enterprise as to what it could be. So let's get into a plot synopsis. Let's see if I can do this uh, in, in a minute. I always give very yeah, I never a hard can, time so about it. Don't, but don't feel pressured if you can. I never do. So it looks Rarely. like starting the recording at 9.32. All right. So Archer, Captain Archer, is having a dinner with Trip and T'Pol. And they tell a story. And uh, Trip and Archer, they're talking about first contact. And Archer, well, Archer asks T'Pol why she went to Carbon Creek in her record. And she says she wanted to see the, the site of first contact between human and Vulcans. Archer and Trip say, well, you should have been in Bozeman, Montana. And she says, well, that's not the true first contact. And she ends up telling them a story about how her, how her great-great-grandmother's ship crashed on Earth, and her and Stran and Mestral, the surviving Vulcans, had to go live on Earth until they could be rescued. Uh, they, they kind of adapt and blend in. They come to appreciate the society. Mestral stays, and you see that T'Pol's great-grandmother is a lot like T'Pol. And then T'Pol leaves it as, he asked me to tell you a story, but then they show her at the end of it holding her great-grandmother's purse, I think, to show that it really happened. And that's Carbon Creek in a nutshell. But didn't she also say, it is just a story? Well, that, she says it, but it leaves it up to, is it? Right. Right. And I I love that because it shows the evolution of T'Pol. She's starting to grasp humor. She's starting to grasp subterfuge. Like Spock, she's learning how to lie without lying. It's the evolution of the character. Um, I also think it's important because later on you find out that T'Pol is a Vulcan whose emotions are close to the surface. She's not as great with her control as other Vulcans. She'll probably never achieve um, Kolinar. But... Um, you find out that her third great-grandmother was that way, too, and it runs in the family. You're going to have to explain Colinar to, to the few people that might not know. To the many people. It's the purging of all Vulcan emotion. They become ex- completely emotionless. Any residual emotion is purged. Okay. So it's not Ponfar. <laughs> it is not Ponfar. No, the, no, 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 not even close. <laughs> <laughs> I just had to throw that in there. Uh, Rage Master, you got some trivia like we usually get here? I do, I do. Um, so, this, of course, this show, this episode was filmed actually in Crestline, California, uh, because there is no Carbon Creek, Pennsylvania. There is a Carbon County, Pennsylvania, but not a Carbon Creek. Um, this is, this episode is one of the few on-screen depictions of a Vulcan drinking alcohol. Um, and Mestral's Vulcan claim that the human game of pool is a simple exercise in geometry echoes what Tuvok says to Tom Paris in Voyager episode Jetrel. Yeah, Jetrel. Jetrel, yeah. Um, so characters discuss the TV series The Twilight Zone, in which actors like Leonard Nimoy and William Shatner had appeared. So I guess that's just a show within a show. I, I don't know how you want to call it that. Um, so of course, Scott didn't mention this, but the reason the Vulcans were on Earth to begin with is they were watching Sputnik. They were observing that, the first satellite from, to make an, or, an orbit. Um, now, there's a little story element here. 
the, despite Tucker's shock, and that's the chief engineer who will go on to have a child with T'Pol, uh, despite their shock at the revelation that uh, aliens had visited Earth more than a century before the official first contact, um, according to previous Star Trek episodes, this had been going on for a while. Um, all Star Trek series have had at least one storyline where it turns out that an undercover alien had visited Earth at different times. Sometimes for abducting people, others observe observation, uh, and sometimes accidents like the Tamir's crew in this story. Um, there's also been storylines of Earth being seeded by aliens, kind of like, you know, the ancient aliens thing. Um, so this isn't exactly Chase a season new, six next generation. Yeah, this isn't exactly a new concept. Um, maybe for for archer and um tucker it's an it's a realization it's a shock because these are the first humans to do deep space exploration but honestly it's it's one of those things that that's the first contact with vulcans but other aliens not so much um <clears throat> well it's the me. first okay so i get it yeah vulcans are the first officially acknowledged contact with extraterrestrials it would be as if in the you know in the future uh, actual aliens land and we acknowledge they're here but then you've got Giorgio Suclis saying well those aren't the greys and our first contact with the greys was really back in 1940 whatever at Roswell all right uh i'm getting hyper trekky here i'm going to i'm going to do this as the dork henderson okay Mr. Lachine eating a pretzel with his hand, which was noted as a contradiction by statements made by T'Kal to Paul in Star Trek Enterprise Broken Bow regarding Vulcans never touching food with their hands. <laughs> T'Pol would later break that taboo as well. <laughs> I hope someone got fired for that. Well, you know, dork, I'm going to have to fire you and lure you away with Hot Pockets because... Before that happens, Mestrel suggests that they should kill a deer because it could feed them to the horror of Stran and Tamir, and he says it is logical to do it to survive. So he's already breaking his taboos because he's in survival mode, and he's a logical being that knows that sometimes you have to break taboos to be able to survive. I wish to draw my criticism. <laughs> um... This episode makes note that T'Pol is the longest serving Vulcan on a human vessel. The last record was 10 days. Um, this episode also is very similar to Star Trek Voyager's episode 1159. In both episodes, a female main character tells a story to other main characters about an ancestor of hers in the 20th century. In both cases, much of the episode is set on Earth centered around main character's ancestors, who's played by the same actress. This know. is a much better version of that. Than 1159? Yes, it's very derivative because it was written by the same people, where I said they were running out of ideas, but this is a better version of a story they had previously told. Well, what was 1159? Which character was that about? It was about uh, Janeway's great, great ancestor and it's so boring that i can't really remember what it was but she kind of falls in love with a guy who runs a bookstore and he's got a kid and she takes the kid under the wing and i mean you can see a lot of the same elements this is a bar okay. 
with a love story and it's it's her great 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 ancestor and i don't know it's it's not memorable and, okay. and this is a better version of that story it's the same thing it was meant to fill a time slot but uh I don't know. The difference between Voyager, so many stories in Voyager, and so many stories in other episodes that are similar is most of the stories in Voyager were to show you how great Jane was and hit you over the head with a hammer with it repeatedly about how awesome mm. she was. So, okay. And this isn't doing that with T'Pol. That's true. Uh, the last two ones, uh, the Vulcan commander, Tamir, is, his name is based off the Russian word Mir, which means peace, and is named after the space station. Uh, and the final point, Tamir refers to the television as an idiotic device, which is a nod to the fact that it used to be called the idiot box. So there's your trivia fun facts for Carbon Creek. All right, we want to go into some rips and picks. What we like about the episode, what didn't we like about the episode? I'll start with a pick. I love the joke where Strawn is saying the job would be tolerable, except her son, there is a comedic actor referred to a stooge, and her son thinks that I resemble him, so he keeps calling me Mo. I just love that joke, just the way it's delivered the deadpan, a stooge. <laughs> that was one of my picks as well. <laughs> well I'm just going to say I kind of like... You see more of a human side of Vulcans in this. I mean, yes, because they're kind of among humans, but you do see somewhat. Yeah, you know, and what's interesting is the way that, um, oh, all of a sudden I forget his name, The Vul which Vulcan stayed behind? Mestral. Mestral, that Mestral chose to stay behind, and but, but he was get taking, starting to take it really seriously. Like he was almost forgetting his Vulcanness, and he was getting upset by the idea that he might miss his show. That's so, true. And you saw his emotions come to the surface with how much he needs to save the miners. Strawn is trying it, to say, you know, we, we risk it, and, and Tamir is saying they live, what, 60, 70 years? Mm -hmm. Like we're talking about a hamster. And it's kind of taking that monoculture alien and slapping it in the face. It's, it's kind of reminding us that, you know, we do this monoculture thing because it's just flat out easier. Um, however, that doesn't mean it needs to be the norm. Here's a Vulcan that quite honestly doesn't fit in as well to Vulcan society as we think he can play the game, but the moment he can break free of it, he does. That's true. So, and I would also argue that, uh, so this is one of the reasons that I put this episode in. I just think it is essential because it starts to fix the miscarriage of justice done to the Vulcans in the first season. Um, they tried to do that with Fallen Hero, but they didn't really do it so well. Um, Vulcans have always said, we have emotions. They exist. They're more powerful than human emotions, and we suppress them. Vulcans, Vulcans apply to a, a philosophy of pure logic because their, their emotions are so powerful and out of control that it's the only way that they can, that they can function um, and, 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 and build an advanced society. 
but the emotions are always there. And you saw hints of that with Spock in the original series. You see hints of that with Tuvok. Vulcans are repeatedly throughout this show portrayed as insanely loyal to their friends and captains. Loyalty is an emotion. It is an emotion. Um, and just because, you know, what you see here is that logical beings can also be influenced by emotion and that even beings of pure logic decide to do what's right. Whether that's Tamir selling the, the Velcro, even though ethically it's a violation, so that she can send the, the son to college. Or whether that's Mestral insisting that they're going to take the risk of exposing this uh, culture to advanced technology because there are lives down there. And even if they only live 60 to 70 years and they're halfway through that lifespan, those lives matter as much as lives that live 200 years. And they still have, and, and you need to do the right thing. And it's an amazing commentary back against the Prime Directive, which says you, you let people die rather than interfere in the natural development of society. And I like that. That's, that's a big pick, that, that what you said there about the fact that they start, you start seeing them mainstream into human society, build relations, and care about these people. Even Strawn, the most Vulcan of them all, goes back to do one last job for the lady that he's being the handyman for. <laughs> and, you know, Scott, you mentioned the Velcro. That's one of my picks as well, because this is one of those verisimilitude moments where they did their homework however easy that was because velcro was developed it was first invented in 1957 so this fits uh if i could go on my little high horse here one of the things that i just hate is when people horrendously get history wrong i used to love the movie braveheart now i hate it because it is so willingly wrong, grossly wrong for the purpose of entertainment. And the problem is people get their history from the movies. If I knew people were just watching it knowing this is all made up, okay, I could deal with it. But I know people are watching Braveheart or Carbon Creek and thinking, oh, this is what happened. Because they somehow assume that a filmmaker is a historian. Um, and you have YouTubers out there, historical YouTubers who don't even have a 10th of the budget of these guys getting their history, right? So if some YouTuber who has, you know, who has to put up their car for the revenue to make a mini movie can do the research to get these details, right? Well, darn it, Mr. $20 million or however much it costs to make this episode, you could spend five minutes to mute to Wikipedia when was Velcro invented. You know, it, it is a nice touch that I can appreciate because I cannot stand, you know, I understand a little bits of embellishment and time compression. That I get. Um, when you have to have the historical figure move from point A to B in a quicker time, because, you know, we don't have time for the three years it actually took. We need to get them there now because we've only got another hour left in this movie. Okay, fine. Especially if you consider that the three years between A and B weren't that eventful. Okay, fine. 
but uh when you skip over major things or just flat out tweak them like i don't know turn the battle of sterling bridge into sterling field um big difference there or decide that edward longshanks was a cruel pagan king uh, who just decided he was going to barge into scotland and take it after king duncan died without skip with and ignore the fact that Edward Longshanks was in the Crusades. Edward Longshanks was asked to come in and educate a a succession crisis after the crown heir apparent died on her way to Scotland after King Duncan died. Nope, can't do that. We got to make it a history is written by those who hanged heroes or the losers who are trying to make a Hollywood flick. You know, uh, or we're going to have smallpox appear in Mayan society centuries before the Spanish did. Yeah, that makes sense. It just, it, it's a nice touch. I got off my high horse now. I'll get off my soapbox now, but I like that. It makes sense. It fits history, and it's a nice touch for the story. It advances the story while keeping the history. I appreciate that a lot. Uh, I have another pick. When... Uh, I can't remember her name, but when Mestral um, kisses the, 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 the female lead, the, the bar owner, she says, I've been out of practice. I was hoping it would be more than pleasant, though. And he says, I did say very pleasant. It's a callback to Data in uh, the Star Trek The Next Generation episode, In Theory, where he says something very similar, almost in the exact same delivery when his girlfriend at the time, Jenna, gives him um, a, a kiss. So it's uh it 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 was a callback to data and it was uh I I just like the little callback. Sometimes that stuff can be done correctly, especially when the delivery almost matches exactly. Okay. I've got a rip. I you know, I've got one that I don't know if it's a pick or a rip. I'm going to throw it out there and I'm going to let you guys decide. Um I think it's more of a personal um, personal, ugh, I don't like that. It's not a fault in the writing. Um, and Scott, you dress this soon earlier, where the Vulcans are basically looking at humans like guinea pigs, the same way we would look at, you know, an animal in the wild and study it. Um, just the idea that we could be observed that way, that our sentience is considered lesser to a point where we're just considered observable mammal um as i said that's not a fault in the writing um that just it's creepy so i don't know if that's a pick because it makes sense for the vulcans to feel that way then scott you would know better if they would feel that way or if that's a rip because the Vulcans wouldn't feel that way, or um, and I, I don't know where does that fall. I would call it a rip because the Vulcan philosophy is um, idic, infinite diversity and infinite combinations. So I don't feel that Vulcans would reduce the sentience of human beings the way that that was done, like as guinea pigs because of that philosophy 
You know, that's a good point because now I'm suddenly thinking of something Spock said in Star Trek four when um, the one woman said that humans were hunting whales to extinction. And Spock says hunting a species to extinction is illogical. And she said, well, whoever said the human race was logical. And then, um, you, in, in the beginning of that movie, he says only human arrogance would assume that the message was meant for humans. Because everyone's assuming that you would send a message to Earth to talk to humans, and Spock is like, uh, only your arrogance would say that. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, Thomas, where do you think that falls? Rip or pick? I think I might put it in the pick. It's a tricky one. Yeah. I think I have to go pick, but it's, again, very tricky. Yeah, I mean, on one hand, if this were a different alien race, it might work if we knew about them. And we knew that they looked at everything else as a lesser life form. Kind of like humans do. Some humans do with other creatures. Then, okay, then it would be a pick. It'd be creepy, but it'd be a pick. But knowing what the Vulcans feel or what they ought to feel, this doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't. And I guess this goes back. I guess this goes back to what you're saying, Scott. They were trying to show the evolution of Vulcan thinking, and they kind of botched it. As I said, they started to correct the issues with the Vulcans. They continue that um, and, and really get to it in, in season four. Um, but this is the start to that. I, I, I have a rip, and I try to always, you know, starting with Voyager, I try to show what's right with the series and what's wrong with the series. This series is maybe the only Star Trek series to try to make gratuitous use of sex appeal, both male and female in nearly every episode. And you usually do that when you lack a little bit of substance. This yeah. episode didn't do it a lot, but it did it in the very first act when Tamir and Mestral are changing. And they change behind the clothesline, and it's supposed to be hidden as a callback to City on the Edge of Forever when Kirk and Spock did it. But you know what they didn't do on that one? They didn't put them behind a white sheet Shine a bright spotlight yeah. on it so that you could give the silhouette of naked Jolene Blaylock and then have her put the garment on backwards so you have to go do it again and give us the next shot again. You know, um, it is... People say it's a weird thing to rip, but this show, I mean, how many scenes do they have in the decontamination chamber of them basically in their Starfleet underwear oiling each other up? All the um, Vulcan neural pressure, um, you know, sessions with Tripp and T'Pol that are basically made to be like sex. But that um, was the first episode, wasn't it? In the first episode, they did it in so many episodes in season one and, in that decon chamber where they turn the lights down and oil each other up, mostly naked. <laughs> yeah, I mean, t- the, the actor who played Tucker said with all the camera crew there, it was about as rousing as dental surgery, but it's like, yeah, I get that, but... It achieved what it was going for. Yeah. Without the abs- yeah. with the absence of steak, it gave us sizzle. Oh, oh, they knew what they were doing. I just say that's one of the problems of Enterprise. When Tucker's saving the ship, when the Ferengi take it over, he's running around the ship doing most of it in his underwear. 
Ferengi. Oh, yeah, they, there's an episode where the Ferengi, uh, they encounter the Ferengi, and the Ferengi take the ship, and they're going to oh, yeah, sell yeah, all yeah, the yeah, women okay, into okay. slavery. Uh, Tucker saves the ship, by, and he's running around in his underwear. There was no need to do that. They just wanted to show. They, they, they pushed the envelope on that, and, and maybe that's a prudish thing to rip, but throughout the series, you will see the, the sexual overtones in a way that like they're just saying, let's appeal to 14-year-old boys. Um, no, I get that, Scott, because that started with seven of silicone. Of, it reminds me of an episode of an interview with Gene Wilder back in the day where he was talking about script dialogue and they asked him if he would ever swear because he seldom did. And he said, no, I'm OK with saying and he dropped a few F-bombs, but it has to make sense for the story. I just don't want to do it because it's there because it looks edgy and and that's what it is and maybe it's because you get to a certain age where you just realize this isn't edgy it's actually kind of pathetic i remember the first time i realized and the same can be said of of sex scenes i remember the first time that i thought this i was at a, a, a heavy metal concert and there one of the opening acts was one of these screamo hardcore bands where you know, it's the angry white, angry young white guy that is angry about, I don't know, whatever, who cares? And uh, their songs were like, F your power trip. What? And, and, and it was just him <laughs> and dropping a lot of F-bombs. And the whole time I kept thinking, boy, you need to grow up. Dropping F-bombs every other word and screaming about a power trip is like, if you've got issues to work out, go get therapy because this looks sad. And the same can be said of films or anything else where there's just gratuitous uses of, you know, profanity or in this case, as you're pointing out, Scott, sex scenes. Is it serving a purpose? If it's just giving me sizzle, well, why? Um, I'm not going to go out as a Christian. I'm not going to go out and condone porn. But if that's all you want, you know, there's an avenue for that that cuts through all the pretension and just says, well, if this is what you want, here it is. Right. Um, Same thing with swearing. If all you want to do that, if all you want to do is that, well, then just swear a bunch of times. It reminds me again of the movie Summer School. Great movie, by the way. I think it was 88 or 89. Starring Mark Harmon and a bunch of other guys. And there's a scene where the teacher, it's, it's about a gym teacher who winds up having to teach summer, English, uh, summer school English. Yeah, it's unrealistic, but just go with it. And the kids hide his car keys to mess with them. And he says, you know, I want my car keys and he swears and the kid and they're like, we could swear in this class now. And the kids all start swearing. And one of these like little goody two shoes kids says the most harmless word like crap. And he's like, crap. (laughs) And it's like, yep, that's what I think of these kind of things now. Like, Ooh, look, we had a sex part. Um, why did it, did it fit into star Trek? Did it enhance anything? 
I mean, yeah, I know there's guys out there, Trekkies out there who are sweaty palm to try to imagine this, but usually you limit them to chat rooms, not writing rooms. Yeah, you don't. I mean, well, so I look back at it and, and I do have to say it's a weird thing for me to criticize in this series when the original series had the scantily clad female guest star of the week. Of course. And the and all of the female crew members went around in short skirts that didn't cover their underwear, basically. Uh, right. You know, but Gene was a pervert and we know Gene was a pervert with horrible ideas towards the treatment of women. So, Plus, I have to admit, it was for better, for worse, well, for worse in this case, it was the era. But there was also and, substance in TOS. You weren't, not those scenes, but you weren't throwing those scenes in because you lacked substance. And in Enterprise, and steak. Right. So many of them seemed to be filler. Every single time they needed to pad out the episode to hit the required number of minutes instead of running at 42... They did some fan service sexual gratuity. Or they put to Paul in a suit that looks like, wow, I can't believe you can walk. It looks so tight. Like for all of season three and four? <laughs> exactly. Where it's like, wow, uh, are you getting enough circulation? <laughs> yeah, for a fact that later it went, uh, I'm sorry, I think you guys really turned this up way too much now. Well, and as Scott said, it was at that point just trying to, or as I'm saying, it, they're just trying to up the sizzle because they need to drum up more viewership. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, they tried the same thing they in Voyager. Seven and nine, right? Right, right. I was just about, how do we do this? Well, let's put her in a really, really tight one-piece suit and make her walk around in high heels, which she's in, she's in heel boots. It makes no sense. <laughs> Who goes to work on a Navy ship in heels? Yeah. <laughs> Well, I maybe it depends on what job you have. Well, not her job. <laughs> no. Not her job, no. Seven of silicone. <laughs> right. So I think that's um that's yeah, that is a good rip to point out. I mean, that's a rip that could be applied to a lot of this show, honestly. I mean, <sighs> I don't know, Thomas, Mark, do you have any more rips? I don't have a whole ton of rips about I don't really, this. I don't really no. have too many rips on this. It, it's, I mean, it's, it, as we discussed, it has issues, but I don't see them as really anything different than what normally is there. Yeah, it's... I will say, I, you know, Scott, I'm glad you picked this episode. I thought it was one of the better ones for sure. Uh, e even if it's apocryphal, it's a good episode. Um, it's an interesting thing to see. Well, what, what are Vulcans like if you take them out of their element? Um, how many of them are actually dedicated to this uh, concept of sol Solinar, is it? Colinar. Colinar. How many of them are actually dedicated to Colinar when you take them out of that situation where, well, we don't have to be now. And even if they get picked up later, they could just say it was a science experiment. I was blending in. It was a survival instinct. I was experimenting, considered an anthropological experiment. They could hide it behind so many other things, which are incidentally logical. It's believed that most Vulcans never achieve Colinar. Tuvok didn't, Spock didn't. It's you're, it's supposed to believe that most Vulcans Colinar is a rare well, thing Spock for them had to. Well, Spock a major handicap. 
Well, yeah, he was about to achieve Kolinar. They had given it to him, and then he sensed V'ger in space. It's the opening scene of the slow motion picture. Right, but I'm just saying he, he yeah. had a handicap in that he was half human. So. That's true. Um, but it just, I mean, it's the same way in Star Trek Four. Like, he got the one question, how do you feel? Why would it ask me that? Because it knows you're part human. Mm-hmm. So, and then it ends with, tell my mother I feel fine. Exactly. Um, but the it, it, it really does show what a first contact could look like because I'm, and I am not by any stretch saying aliens exist among us. I'm not saying that. Sickies, I'm not saying that. But if odds are, and they were humanoid enough or at least able to mask as humanoid a la they live, this is what they'd probably be doing, especially if they were cut off from their home planet. Because the fact of the matter is, they know if we were found out, bring on the needles and experimentation. Because the Vulcans knew, well, humans are advanced enough that they could do medical experiments on us. And, and superior technology or not, there's too many of them for us to fend off. Right. And they have weaponry that can take us down, and we don't. You know, a gun may be primitive weaponry, but it's still going to kill me. Right. And even though I've got a phaser, if they bring in a thousand troops, my phaser isn't going to take them all out. Right. Before they get me. Man, you can overwhelm even the best defensive positions with just. Yeah, exactly. Human wave tactics. Yep. Yeah. I mean, sure, she'll take some down, but not before they turn her into Swiss cheese. Exactly. Which was a flaw that was completely forgotten in last week's movie, Kin. That just because you have the BFG doesn't mean you're invincible. Yeah. That was the only thing forgotten? No, yeah. just one of them. Just something he thought of right now. So, Any other picks to add? I think my biggest pick was right there, what I just said. I think so. Thomas? <laughs> I really don't have anything else. All right. I think we get on to rating this. How many, How many Velcro pouches do we want to give this? Ooh, good one. Okay, I'll go first. I think you picked very well here. I don't, I don't despise Enterprise as a whole, but I don't rave about it or sit there and say this is the best ever. But this episode is a very good episode that does quite a bit to give more flesh out, let's say. These. And it does explain some things. It's a very interesting story. And I do overall enjoy it. I'm going to give it a 9. 9 out of 10. Alright, I'm gonna... I'll give it an 8. Um... It's, and mostly because everything I said earlier, but also, Scott, you kind of hit the nail on the head. This is beyond just good Trek. It's also just good science fiction. You could substitute the Vulcans for any alien race, and it would still work well enough. Um, but then you add that angle in the end. Um I do realize I like the ending where she made it clear that this is kind of apocryphal. You know, yes, I have her purse, but 
does that is that something i bought is it a replica you know is it real yeah and i know you know scott might point this out hey i thought you hated movies like inception where the ending is with a big question mark yes when the theme of the central arc is given the question mark um in the movie inception the whole point was to get leonardo dicaprio's character to wake up and we went through all that nonsense to find out maybe he did maybe he didn't it's like you put me through all that overly complex complicated nonsense just to tell me what raw i don't know that bugs me in this her this story being apocryphal isn't necessary for the arc to make for the arc to work because you can tell this is just them sitting around a table having a chat swapping stories it doesn't need the story itself doesn't need to be true archer could tell a story about how he became a captain in starfleet while playing water polo it and then just kind of go and then just wink and be like yeah maybe it happened it doesn't matter it's just a let's sit around and have an anniversary dinner and swap some stories and so that's why if it's true great if it's not true fine it fits the overall arc of the episode it doesn't need to be true for the particular arc to work whereas something like inception you basically took me on a long journey and then gave me a middle finger in the end going i don't know (laughs) i that no no finish your story if you're gonna go through that length finish it well you don't like a middle finger (laughs) no (laughs) nope so but i give it i i give it an an eight or a nine for that reason um it loses a point just i guess because of the rips we talked about but and and that and just that that feeling of oh we're guinea pigs so uh, that's it it's so i agree with you rage um whether it's true or not doesn't matter um and i'll get to that later but i agree with you whether it's a true story or not is completely irrelevant uh, this to me, again, there are reasons I could have not chose this, uh, for reasons I didn't choose similar episodes, but to me, this is a, a solid 45, 43, 47 minutes of television that is a technically well-written script. It's very well acted. You rely on two guest characters to carry the story and it works. Um, there's no major flaws in the script writing and the storytelling and the structure. Um, beyond that, this is essential. It's essential for two things. It develops the T'Pol character, and it is one of the best pieces of development of the T'Pol character, in my opinion, in the series. And it tightens the relationship between the big three on this ship who drive the entire series. This is one of those moments where you see a breakthrough in the bond. You already start seeing some, but you see a bigger breakthrough in the bond between the three of them. It's almost as if you, you know, when you start in TOS, you see McCoy, Kirk, and Spock, and the bond is already formed. In Enterprise, you get to see that bond form. And this is the moment where you can really start to, to advance that, to get to that, you know, triad going again. Um, a little different, because, you know, Spock and McCoy never start a relationship together, like, you know, Tucker and T'Pol will do. But, you know, you start to see it advancing. Uh, but it's, it's essentially... 
Hey, you don't know all the fan art. Maybe there is oh fan stories. There might be one that they do start a relationship. There's a lot yes, of probably. fan fiction about Kirk and he's, Spock. I'm he's just right going to say there's a ton of fan <laughs> fiction about Kirk and Spock. Um, but um, some of which is furry, by the way. I'm sure. Yeah. Um. Well, Gene Roddenberry said if he could have got away with it, it would have happened on the on the show, but he couldn't get away with it in the '60s. Anyway, anyway, anyway. Um. It's this this episode is essential enterprise watching because it is it's just it is character development it's arc development and it's something that the show didn't do as well in the first season and some episodes some series of Star Trek never did very well um and I get back to it it doesn't matter if the story's true or not because even if it's a false story it develops to Paul it advances the character she's inventing the story so it's telling you what her ethical, personal, social beliefs and views of humanity are. And it could show you her journey as far as being exposed to humanity from when she arrived on Earth to now. It works whether it's, whether it's an analogy for her own experience or whether it really happened. It works to build the relationship between the three of them. Everything that the show needs to do works whether or not it's a true story or not. And in the meantime, you got an amazingly enjoyable 45 minutes of television. As a piece of science fiction, I would probably come closer to Mark's eight on this. As a piece of Star Trek, I'll give it a nine. Um, it's a very good piece of Star Trek. I can't give it a ten, even though it's among the best in my mind of Enterprise. You know, nine is about the ceiling. I- I'm going to give it, actually, this piece of Star Trek, I'm going to still go back and give it an eight and a half. It's a very good episode of Enterprise. But there's there's too many episodes of Star Trek and TOS and uh, or Next Gen and and Deep Space Nine that would warrant a nine, and that this episode doesn't approach two. And unfortunately, that's just what you're dealing with in Enterprise. Um, it's gonna fall short of the other series, even at its best, when they're at their best. So I've got to give it an eight. But um, overall, very good piece of uh, science fiction, very enjoyable and essential. If you're going to watch Star Trek Enterprise and understand the show. Um, Ray, do you want to take it away with your spiel? Yeah. uh, So definitely check out. uh, We got a lot of stuff coming out this month for um, Raving Lunatic Media. In fact, Ruck just just told me that he's got this maladies coming out. You've also got uh, the next Zodiac Task Force should be dropping on the 9th, I believe. Looking forward to that. And also the newest show, which you may have heard some advertisements for recently, why you should, the stuff you should watch, it's, it's basically Ruck's show, he's uh, spearheading it, of movies, mostly anime, but also movies and some video games of what you should be playing, at least according to Ruck, but I'm going to take his view of it because he hasn't stared us wrong. You can also go back to our Raving Logistic Media, you can comment on our Discord page, you can also go back to our web page to make comments and see our previous catalogs and that web page you can go to at raving lunatic media.com raving lunatic media.com raving lunatic media.com rage master what's left for them to do stay sick sickies kill a deer and eat it even though you're a vegetarian because it's necessary to survive wait no i'm sorry all right see you next week Yeah.
That's the one. I think we'll start right there. Because it gives you the the full problem with what happened with Trek. Okay, Scott? Yeah. We got to pause here. Remember the gag. Oh, okay. Where you're defending it, and then uh, we do a parody, you know, in defense of that. And then at the end, you come out and you're just like, I can't do it anymore. This episode sucked. Yeah. No, no, no. I'm not actually going to defend this episode. Okay. That, Ruck, what we just talked about, where I said, Scott, you know, that's cut that out. Yep. Obviously. Edit, 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 edit. Yeah. Edit. Oh, oops. 